0: Welcome to Sapiens Talkback, a new podcast series brought to you by the Archaeology Centers Coalition and Radio Science at the Cornell Institute of Archaeology and Material Studies. This series has been developed in partnership with season four of the Sapiens podcast in order to discuss new approaches to changing archaeology stories and who tells them. Our goal is to dig deeper into the pressing issues that the Sapiens series raises for the practice of archaeology. My name is Alma Cortes-Alvarez, and I am a graduate student in the Cornell Institute for Archaeology and Material Studies.
1: And I'm Liam McDonald, a graduate student in classical archaeology at Cornell University, and also a member of the Cornell Institute for Archaeology and Material Studies. In this episode, we welcome one of the hosts of the Sapiens series, for a conversation on how we can achieve real and lasting change in the stories archaeology tells us, and just as importantly, who gets to tell them.
0: Joining us is Yuli Gandali, a graduate student in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Washington. Welcome, Yuli. Thanks for having me, Alma. We are very pleased to be joined today by graduate students from Archaeology Center's coalition member institutions that will help guide their conversation. In addition to probing the issues raised in episode one of the Sapien series, we will also be discussing insights provided by a 2018 publication by Sara Gonzalez, Ian Kretzler, and Brice Edwards in the Journal of the World Archaeological Congress entitled, Imagining Indigenous and Archaeological Futures, Building Capacity with the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde. Let me start the conversation going with a question about the Sabian series that you are hosting. How did it happen, and what are your goals for the podcast?
2: How did this happen? Hmm. Well, you know, this is an offset of the larger conversation that is happening within the world, within the United States, but then also within our discipline here. And just thinking a little bit more about racial equity, thinking more about uh, gender equity, and how this really happened was coming together with a lot of different types of organizations. We have the Indigenous Archaeology Collective. We have the Society for Black Archaeologists. We have so many other organizations that are coming together to really start to build these relationships and to talk about Black and Indigenous archaeology in um, in really new ways. You know, specifically in ways that affect the public and that we can have these conversations in these spaces that we previously haven't had before. And so I think that the goals of this podcast are to one build those relationships across all of these different spaces but then also to to tell new stories, right? And so with archaeology being a um being a discipline that was created and maintained within this context of colonialism and settler colonialism and uh, white supremacist thought is that it's time to expand on other forms of knowing and being in the world. And so this is a chance for us to really tell new stories and to um, and to build those relationships.
3: Thank you. Hi, Yuli. my name is Jerry Hamilton. And I am a PhD candidate at UC Berkeley in archaeology. So, my question was I've been thinking a lot in my graduate career. I took this wonderful class my first year of graduate school, taught by Meg Conkey and Muth Shingham. And they were talking about cultural heritage in the digital and contemporary age. And I was asking myself if archaeology could be healing. And I feel like in the work that a lot of us here are doing and the work that you're doing, Work that's you know deeply rooted in indigenous and African diasporic archaeology. If our work heals, whether that be you know yourself or the folks that are also um, involved in your work, especially
2: community engaged work. So that's my question for you. Thank you so much for that. Is it healing? That is something that I think that we're all trying to strive for a little bit more in putting this series together and um, really starting to push through into these new new ways of thinking and doing. I know that with the onset of NAGPRA, you know, they weren't really thinking that this could be something that could be used for healing, right? You know, this is something that was supposed to be law based. It was supposed to, you know, connect, connect ancestors, material culture back to tribes. And I think that, you know, the offset of that is supposed to be healing. Um, there are moments where it does it never felt that way, right? But it's up to us to really find that healing in the different new types of protocols that we that we do when we get these objects and ancestors back to us. I hope that it can be healing. I know that a lot of healing starts with ourselves, right? And so being able to open up that space within our own hearts. We talked a lot about in the podcast trying to think through all the different ways that we lead from the heart, right? In archaeology and trying to in trying to to pave that path for, towards healing. You know, we've had a lot of different types of what is it? We've had a lot of different types of Critique, Right. We've always had the the um, the black feminist critique. We've had the indigenous critique on archaeology. And I think that we're becoming to a space here in this next generation of archaeology is where we take that critique and now it's time to heal. And it's time to create new spaces um, of healing within that, using the past, using the objects of the past to really start that healing journey. And so I really enjoy your question and hope that we all individually find that space for healing um, within our own selves, you know, so me connecting with my ancestors, you connecting with yours but then also making sure that archeology span as a discipline holds the space for that as well. And so if archeology span as a discipline wants to heal, it needs to hold that space for us to do whatever we need to do with it, whether we wanna laugh like dark humor about it, or if we wanna cry about it, or if we wanna yell and scream and fight about it. Like those are all things that are all part of that healing process And archeology span really needs to open up to that. And I really love what we're doing with this space and with this podcast to really start that process. For sure, thank you.
4: Hi, my name is Javier Garcia Colón. I am a first year grad student in UC San Diego um, in the Department of Anthropology. My question to you is how would you recommend approaching um, this conversations about identity, right? When you talk about reimagining identity and sense of belonging, without harming an already national identity that was uh, the result of uh a, right, a need of survival, considering Puerto Rico being right, its colonial state, its notion of identity was a struggle to try to preserve everything that they could in a short amount of time. And how do you reimagine those concepts of identity without harming it?
2: Y'all are asking the big questions, right? (laughs) (laughs) The thing thing about that is, you know, I think that I, I really enjoy this question about identity and I really enjoy kind of thinking through what that looks like on an individual level, community level as well. And, I kind of want to. I kind of want to change the question a little bit to to reframe that the way that I'm kind of thinking about archaeology right now, and kind of opening up that space and opening up the future for archaeology, is not necessarily. Um, I, I'm still I'm still working through how to articulate this, but not necessarily worrying so much about these processes that happened in the past, right? And so you're going to say. In this particular historical period, this is the specific identity of this specific people in place, you know, and being able to inscribe that identity of, upon a people. Um, that's not necessarily where I'd like to see archaeology go. I'd like to see a little bit more about how people today in the present use their own identity and use their own sense of community and belonging to then speak through some of the objects and some of the social processes in the past. And so it's very um, self-reflexive. It's very, um, you know, multi-dimensional, intersectional. There's so many ways that you can come at these and it's not necessarily has to, um, what is the word, like solve a question of the past. It's, it's using the past to think br- more broadly about our future er- and about our present moment here today and how that works. Is that kind of answer question? Can you want to elaborate, should we elaborate on that a little bit more? What do you think?
4: <laughs> um, yes, thank you. Um, yes, I think it's not necessarily as you said about, um. right, using the past and staying in the past and just answering questions of the past. But I am interested right in this, as you said, identity and sense of belonging um in Puerto Rico. But you know, this imagery of this idea of national identity is very much
3: hmm,
4: how would I say this? It's very affected by the elite and the white way of thinking right in the same nation so these ideas of the indigenous people that were in the past with this imagery of um this good the the good people right that lived before us and then the strong um culture from the african side and then we just look at this mixture of everything without actually paying attention to the individuals that form this whole identity. So I want, in my right, in my personal research, I want to give attention to those other cultural aspects that make the entirety of the Puerto Rican identity. Without harming, right, what we already think it is to be Puerto Rican. I don't know if that's better.
2: With that, I would say you don't have to be, you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to worry so much about what's, how that, I don't know, how that, how that really fits together. Hold on, let me see if I can find my words a little bit better. I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at here is that um, if you're really, if you're really forthcoming with who you are trying to serve, and you really forthcoming about how and uh, about those methods that you're using and how you're doing it if you're really doing like community based work and um identity based work really grounded in you know truth and reciprocity and um and like community based values i feel as though you you can push back on that a little bit but as far as um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Does anybody else, does anybody else want to speak to that? I don't know if i if I have if I have the right words for that.
5: Hi, my name is Iman Naji. I'm a PhD student at the and Institute of Archaeology and I research Northeast Africa. I think that's a really brilliant question, and it's a question that I think is relevant to, countries that have been have undergone deep colonialism i can tell you that one of my countries has gone through that and i think that these nationalist narratives that you speak of it's really important for us to understand that they're reactive they're reactive to the colonial presence and the constant belittling of indigenous cultures so it's important to, to empathize with the nationalist narrative and understand the nat- why the nationalist narrative exists in the first place. I agree that at times it can become when you're an archaeologist or an anthropologist, your job is to uncover the past. And in some ways, we relate that to the truth. And I think it's important to understand that we're not we're not here to deliver the truth to people.
2: Thank you. Thank you for that. That definitely opens up some possibilities
5: there. And
2: I think gets at a little bit of what we're trying to do here is saying that like the way that we do archaeology is just a way of doing, right? And so there are so many other ways of doing and knowing and being in the world that are just as I don't know, truthful, that are just as um, as valid. And at this moment, we are putting our foot down and saying that this is a valid form of inquiry.
4: Thank you so much both for that. Thank you.
1: Hi, hey, Oli, it's Liam again. I wanted to ask you about decolonization, given that you spoke about it in the podcast that we listened to. You mentioned how at the moment it's often used as somewhat of a buzzword and it's gotten somewhat away from its original meaning, which of undoing colonization or undoing colonialism. I was just wanting to ask if you have any like really good examples from within archaeology of that being done in a good way or in a way that's true to that original meaning of de- decolonialism.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily love the way that I said that in the the podcast, you know, just like undoing colonialism. How do you undo something, especially in archaeology, to where it was completely created? You know, I talked a little bit about how decolonization, you know, can be a buzzword. And it's something that, um, you know, had been is kind of equated to kind of like DEI work, the diversity and in, in inclusivity work, and it's not it's not that it is disentangling some of these uh, white supremacist notions within our own bodies, within our own minds, and then within the relationships that we have with with other people, right? And so I think that um, decolonization starts within and it spreads out within your relationships and the institutions that you are with and are engaging with. And some of the things that we do is trying to uh, subvert, um, trying to really show that we're always teachers, we're always learners, um, trying to get rid of this kind of hierarchical idea of how we are supposed to do archeology span and how knowledge is, is transmuted and translated across time and space. And so the article that I used was Gonzalez et al's 2018 article, because it's very close to what I do as an indigenous archaeologist and the field school that we do, you know, the field school that we have is a, what we hope to be is a um, decolonizing project. And so what it is, is having the principles of community-based participatory research but then also understanding that the way that we do our archaeology is through indigenous ways of knowing, right? And so being able to be grounded in specifically Grand Ron's way of knowing and Grand Ron's ideas of how archaeology should be done on their lands. It's an archaeology of sovereignty and that's something that we try to bring through in in being able to train the next generation of archaeologists so starting from understanding the history of archaeology as as a colonial project and the specific ways in which um like that that, that it was created you know you know archaeology having a lot of you know militaristic terms and words You know, built right into it. And then thinking about excavation as something that we don't, isn't a given, right? And understanding that being part of community and being in living and being in community is really important. And so there are a lot of different ways that we can try to pull apart and try to become decolonized in that way. I just know that there are a lot of critiques going around out there that, you know, say that this might not be something that we, specifically can do you know and I really like this idea of trying to um to focus on the healing aspect of of what we can do and being able to heal from what has been genocide to heal from what continues to be genocide in in different ways and then just just like moving from that from that space of healing does anybody else want to add to decolonization because like I said there's so many different ways to think about it is just um, really thinking about ourselves more critically is something that I'd like to do and being very critical
5: of the history of archaeology in that way. This is Iman again. So in response to your point uh, about decolonization, I think it's really important for us to understand that decolonization in archaeology is centered on the the notion that western philosophy is the path to rationality it's the path to knowing and uncovering the truth and if we can decenter western philosophy as the de facto model of how we can uncover realities past realities future realities and we can be inclusive of non-western philosophy And a lot of the times I think people get scared of that because they feel like you're trying to invalidate who they are. And the idea, in my opinion, is the concept of decentering is not invalidation. It's just allowing other philosophies to have equal weight in your research. And I think that that's so important about
2: Um, maybe having an archaeology of intersectionality, right, you know, and being able to understand, you know, how our race and how our class and how our gender intersect in all of these different ways. And being able to know that, like, the ways that we decide to, to do archaeology, and all the beautiful things that are to come, like they are, they're all valid, and are going to hold equal weight. And we're going to make sure that happens.
5: Yoli, in my experience and research as a Northeast African, I witness a lot of performative allyship that, um, in my opinion, it's disguised as community or ethnoarchaeology, or it could be a pipeline program, whatever it is, I see a lot of it all the time on the ground and in the field. So my question for you is Do you think the field of archeology span is actually interested in change or is this movement a form of due diligence that is just reactive to recent social justice movements?
2: Yes, of course it's reactive. I mean, if that's the way that it's gonna have to be for us to at least get the foot in the door to be able to do this work, let that be the case. But now it's time for us as black and indigenous people to have that time to stand up and actually get what we need out of this time, right? And so whether if it is just lip service and at this time, I'm gonna let that go. But now I just call on the rest of us to be able to stand up and actually get more of our voices out there. And so I think that we will see how exactly the money actually comes into into being in in this time because I feel like to be able to do this work, we need to be funded in the right ways, right? And so I think that we will see if they can put their money where their mouth is, (laughs) right? Can you repeat the question again? It was really good. I feel like there was another part of that 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 I'd like to speak to, but I kind of forgot what the wording was.
5: Sure. So from the beginning, um, I, I said that in my experience and research as a Northeast African, I witnessed a lot of performative allyship, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, is disguised as community archaeology or ethnoarchaeology right. or a pipeline program. Okay, so at- so now
2: I remember what I was going to say. Okay. All right. <laughs> so then, um, there are certain things that are indicative of real community-based work and we definitely um have these relationships so like especially when we talk a lot about a relationship building this is long term this is committed relationship building this is committed relationships with descendant communities and with people here today and so i think that like you can you can see you can tell the people that are you know paying lip service they don't they don't have that long term idea of what reciprocity is and how that give and take being able to actually build whole projects from the outset with community you know those are small little things that you can see within that um within the structure of what somebody might be calling community based work and so um if you can you know ask them simple questions of how did this how did this project start and if it doesn't start with well I went to the community first, then, then I guess you know.
0: <laughs> Hi, um, this is Alma again, and I have another question for you. So in light of Iman's amazing question, I, I think that's, that was really, really good. I I would like to follow up on that and ask, how, how can we participate in this changing narrative? How can we make a meaningful action beyond performative allyship? And I mean this both for those of us who who are of Black or Indigenous descent and want to participate in, in this narrative, or those of us who are allies and want to prop up this change. How can we make this meaningful and participate in this long-term relationship building and trust?
2: That's always a really hard one, like exactly exactly where do you start, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And especially as a grad student, you don't necessarily have all of those network connections, right? And so what I really kind of want to start with is that it starts within, so right, you know, we talked about a little bit about the decolonization within your own mind, your thoughts and the ways that you really engage with uh, settler colonial ideas and stuff like that. So there's that. But then there's also just being able to find like-minded people, right? And just being able to trust them in that way. Right. And so like from there, organically it builds. When we when we start to bring in people into our own um, field school, we think about like, can do they have the disposition to even start this, you know, to being able to have this open mind. Being able to have this open heart, I think, is a really big indicator of how you can really start that. So starting with that open mind, open heart, really doing the work to be able to start to break apart some of the ways that, you know, you might have been... I don't know, indoctrinated, I don't know, is that the right (laughs) word to, um, to think in, um, in these Western ways, and then just being open to knowing that you might not get all the answers right away. You know, these are, this is something that is almost a lifelong trek, a lifelong search, a lifelong commitment that helps you um, move forward in a good way. You know, it's a, a way that uh, a way that is heart centered, face forward, and knowing that like you are connecting not only with your own ancestors but the ancestors of the people that you are studying. And so, I guess in long and short, I mean of it, I suppose there really isn't one specifically good answer. You're not going to just go to a conference one one time and then start building these you know these relationships right away. You know, this is something that takes a lot of time and effort. And not only just on your own part, but being able to be completely okay with if the community says no, they say no, you move on, you change your, you change your research questions, you're super fluid, you're super flexible with the way that you actually do the work. Even if you're interested in a specific thing, the community that you're working with might not be. And that's something that you need to work with together to do that. Specifically for my dissertation research, I do what's called multispectral imaging. So I take different wavelengths of light and different camera filters, and I take photos of belongings in museums. So that's specifically something, the kind of like almost more scientific side of what I do. But it came about from the Grand Ronde Historic Preservation Office saying, hey, we have all of these different types of stone bowls, we have these different types of carved stone belongings that have not properly been completely documented. What are some ways that we can do this like minimally invasively, right? Lithics and and groundstone aren't my very, very specialty, right? But I was able to, because I come from a background where I really enjoy rock art, And so like that was kind of where I was coming in, like landscape rock art, but to think about objects and to think about carved objects and belongings in a different way came from Grand Ronde. And so being able to take kind of my multispectral scientific background with my love of 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 rock art and understanding of rock art, but with their ideas of how do we actually do more low impact museum research and We specifically have these types of belongings that need to be researched. How can we make this work? And so it's putting together from the outset, you know, two different types of goals and blending them into a project. And so that's kind of where I'm trying to get with that is understanding that your project may change, your project is going to change, and it usually should be from the voices of the community that does that. And so like when we are... When we get funded, <laughs> I'm still I'm in, I'm still in the in the stage where I'm looking for funding. When we get funded and when we start working on more doing more um, analysis, we're going to be analyzing it from a grand round way of thinking and doing. And so um, we're going to be bringing in oral histories, we're going to be bringing in archival research. We're going to be bringing in our own personal um, ideas about the past. Working with other Grand Ron cultural experts and artists, they have very familial ideas of how they work with their own material culture. And so being able to incorporate that into the analysis is something that I already know that we're planning on doing. What are the different people, places, and practices that are important to Grand Ron that I don't know the answer specifically to But I can bring in some of my elements, they bring in their elements, and we come together to create this this new product, this new way of of doing archaeology. And that's kind of where I'm going with that. (laughs) It's just like a new way of of thinking and doing and something that is started from from the beginning.
0: Thank you. That that really means a lot. And uh, especially, especially someone who's who who would like to go through this process and learn as much as I can and be as open as much as possible. Thank you so much.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, if you can just do a little bit, it would just be reading a little bit more about decolonization, reading a little bit more about their critiques here and there, reading a, lo- a bit more about uh, Black feminist archaeology and understanding how all of these, how all of these processes in the past interact with us as as Black women, interact with us as, you know, as people of color, anything like that. And just being able to to kind of understand your own identity a little bit more to then be able to kind of, not necessarily project that, hold on if I can find a different word, to be able to analyze that in a way that, you know, really feels right to you. Because I think that's what we're trying to get at here. If you are Black or Indigenous, the way that you think and the way that you analyze is going to be different. And the way, and the things that you're pulling in from your own identity is going to be very specific to who you are. And so we're building new canon here. Right. We're building this idea of what we say and how we and how we analyze and how we structure our work is new. And that's how I think so exciting about futurism and being able to bring in black and indigenous voices is because like this is this is new work that this next generation is going to do. And I'm excited to to see what happens. Awesome. Thank you. I am also excited myself.
3: <laughs> I'm very optimistic. Hi. So this is Jari again. I sort of had a group question. Um, it's uh, admittedly not a fully formed question, but in thinking about my own heritage as an African American woman, you know, I only know my ancestry a number of generations back, um, but definitely nothing you know pre-transatlantic. And in thinking about connecting with my own identity and my heritage through archaeology and anthropology, I wanted to ask for the group here, since I know that a lot of you guys work in your own communities as well, um, what sorts of uh, healing work do you guys do? What sorts of experiences have you had when working in your own communities that sort of is a reflective
2: period or moment for you? I'm going to give that to everybody else and then I'll and I'll finish it.
5: Hi, this is Iman again. Um, I think it's a great question. Um, to be honest with you, working in the communities that I come from renders me an outsider. They're not exactly, it's almost as if I've crossed over and I've joined the, the West and they think that I'm strange. And I, a lot of that has to do with you know colonial history and how how universities operate the way that we come in all of these things but I, I wish it was a, a beautiful healing experience and and what the what you both were talking about before about the future I'm excited for the future but as of now I think it renders you an outsider and it renders you on the other side
2: I think sometimes that space can be fruitful, though, right? Because then, if you do ask what might be considered a a dumb question or something like that, you kind of have the cushion of saying, "Oh, you know, I would like to know a little bit more about this. Can you can you show me, right?" And so, being a little bit more vulnerable in that way as an outsider, you know, can be can be useful.
4: Hi, this is Javier again. I love the question, and I love, Iman, what you said, because that's something I am very afraid about, like going back after studying um, here in the United States for the first time, going back and having my communities see me like, wait, you're a different person, right? But at the same time, I am here because of conversations that I've had with community members and friends and families about, you know, Who are we? Where are we from? What is it that makes us Puerto Rican? And it is a question that it's always happening. It's always going on in in, in some conversations. And that's the reason I'm here. But now that I'm here, I'm scared of going back and having them be like, you're not the same person. So I guess one of my other, questions that I had which I'm just gonna add that it there is how do you make that balance right of that, your academic level of engaging and the amount of knowledge that you get without disassociating yourself from your from your center
2: And I think that that kind of goes along with what we we're trying to say is that like what is this word academic that we're all saying you know? let's dance let's sing let's let's do other things that might not be quote unquote academic and being able to just say that this is part of how we how we identify and how we interact with the world deal with it <laughs> you know and so like i think this whole this whole thing is just trying to expand the idea of what academic really means and as far as well, I'll let Alma go, and then and then we'll talk a little bit more about about healing. I have an interesting response about this
0: because I am not personally working in my own community as an archaeologist. I'm actually I'm actually studying and looking into um, the Near East. So, in terms of my own actual work, I am participating more as an outsider. However, on the other hand. As someone who does have access to, to the spaces in archaeology, I do try to as much as much as possible learn more about my own communities and also understand how how my own experiences as as myself can inform the way I approach I approach my work. And there are a couple of things I've noticed on the few times I've been I've been on an excavation where I was able to to connect with certain people a bit more because, because, because I wanted to learn more about certain crafts or certain or certain cultural items or significance because they reunited certain memories. And that for me is a bit healing because it helps me learn a bit more about some of the things that are beautiful and precious in our, in our diversity, but also in the ways that we are all still human and, and how we are Filled with this invaluable worth, um, so for me that that is the that that is my way to heal.
3: Thank you everyone for sharing. I really appreciate that um, Javier and Yoli. I really thought about what you guys said about you know what it means to be academic. So for my dissertation project, my site is Almaden State Historic Park in Central California, and for my dissertation, my first chapter, I decided that I wanted to include interviews with my own family um, who are not related to the site, but are related to the story that I'm trying to tell about Black farming in America. And they were really surprised that, you know, their voices counted in academia and that their voices could be included, you know, in my dissertation, which was, you know, quote unquote, academic. And they were worried about, you know, how they sounded or their voice or their, their language or their dialect or, you know, all these things. You know, and I told them like you know, show up as you are. It's totally fine. No one's going to judge you. Um, and so I think that you know, having that reaffirming sort of voice that you know, showing up as you are is okay, even for community members, not just us as academics. Is totally how we want um, to present ourselves in this field.
2: Thank you so much for that. I love that wording. Show up as you are, right? And so that's something that I hope that I hope to do in all spaces, in all places. And Alma, what you said as well is, you know, I do. I, I also do not work with my own community at this point because of my gender. It's it's almost <laughs> it's a, it's almost um, it's something that it's something that as a woman, it's really hard to. In in my own community, in my own tribe, to have a voice that that means something in that way, and so and so that's something that I'm still kind of working through. So there's that as a woman in my community because um, it's a very patriarchal system for in my in my village, but that's okay. I can work within that structure. And I understand that structure, you know, historically, but I think that. What I'd like to break free from specifically within, within my village and, you know, hopefully eventually working with my own Baca community is that there's a lot of, there's, you know, breaking, breaking through all of the, those kind of decolonial mirrors and masks and shading there is, is that like a lot of the material culture that my ancestors created, people today still think that it's demons people still think that it's demonic, people still think that the masks and the beautiful throwing knives and stuff like these are things of the past that we cannot touch and we do not talk about, right? And so this is something that I've, you know, really struggled with of trying to um, not only like decolonize my own mind, but then having to do that healing work with my community. And at this point, they're not ready, we're not ready, it's just not the time, right? And so, like, working with Indigenous communities in the Pacific Northwest, you know, there are some elements of that, you know, still in the communities that I I work with, but they have been so open with me and open with us through our partnerships over these years, and to be able to to really start to speak to that a little bit more, you know, in those personal one-on-ones. So a lot about um, when we talk about, you know, healing and we talk, or sorry, we talk about decolonization and these different types of ethical reciprocal relationships, we're usually talking about it on like a government to government level. But I think that, you know, we're starting to really move into more personal relationships, relationship building as well. And those are things that kind of come with time. And so I think that a lot of the healing work that, you know, I've been doing with some of the individuals that we've been talking a lot, we've been talking through what it means to um, do something that your grandparents never got to do. And this is so new and it's scary. And it is, it is something that, you know, even within our own communities, they might not get it right because this cloud and this veil has been put over their eyes and so being able to be okay with with some of the critique, being okay with some of the pushback that happens, but understanding that you have the heart to be able to do that and that your intentions are pure to be able to do that, I think is something that that is very healing. You know, this is this is not just like something that you do your dissertation and then it's done and over with, you know. Um and I think that. Lifelong, lifelong learning and lifelong healing is something that we can all strive for.
1: There is so much more for us to discuss, but unfortunately, that will have to be the last word for this episode of Sapiens Talkback. Yoli, Gondoli, thank you so much for sharing your insights and experience with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful time. Sapiens Talkback was developed in collaboration with the Indigenous Archaeology
0: Collective and the Society of Black Archaeologists, with special help from Dr. Sada Gonzalez, Justin Dunavant, and Ayana Flowellan. Special thanks also to Chip Colwell and the production team at Sapiens, the Buender-Gren Foundation for Anthropological Research, and the House of POD.
1: This episode was made possible by financial support from the Cornell Institute of Archaeology and Material Studies and the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. We want to thank our panellists for leading our conversation today. Jari Hamilton from UC Berkeley, Iman Naji from UCLA, and Javier garcia colon from UC San Diego. Thanks also to the member organisations of the Archaeology Centres Coalition for supporting Sapiens Talkback. You can find more information about their work at archaeologycoalition.org.
0: Radio Siams is a member of the American Anthropological Association podcast library. This episode was produced at Cornell University by Adam Smith with Rebecca Gerdes as our engineer and prediction assistant. Cornell University is located on the traditional homelands of the Cayucona, the Cayuga Nation. The Cayuga are members of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, an alliance of six sovereign nations with a historic and contemporary presence on this land. The Confederacy precedes the establishment of Cornell University, New York State, and the United States of America. We acknowledge the painful history of Gayukonum, this possession, and honor the ongoing connection of the Gayukono people, past and present, to these lands and waters. And we encourage you to investigate the indigenous histories and living communities connected to the places that you occupy.
1: Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode in the Sapiens podcast series, Redrawing the Boundaries.
0: And then the following week, check back in with us at Sapiens Talkback when our guests will be Justin Dunavant, Ayana Flewellen, and Gabrielle Miller.
1: I'm Liam McDonald.
0: And I'm Alma Cortez-Alvarez. Thank you for listening.